0: Hello, friends. Welcome back. My guest today is Greg Everett. He's a weightlifting coach and an author. Right now, it feels like we're in the middle of a toughness revolution. From David Goggin's motivational videos to cold showers, it seems like becoming tough is a skill many people want to develop. But what is toughness, and how do you cultivate it? Today, expect to learn how character, capacity, capability, and commitment combine to create a truly tough human how you can develop your resilience to adversity, why Greg says confidence can be built like any other physical pursuit, how to become more disciplined, and much more. It's so good to see a common term that everybody is throwing around in the growth world at the moment broken down into its component parts. It really helps us to see exactly what we are talking about. Remember the first thing that you used to write in an essay when you were at school or university? You would try and get a definition in there because without defining our terms, we don't actually know what we're talking about. And today definitely defines toughness in a way that I think is really, really useful. If you enjoy the episode, hit subscribe. It makes me happy. Thank you very much. In other news, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. You're not getting enough vegetables in your diet, and and you know it, and this is going to help. With so many stresses in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients it needs to thrive. Busy schedules, poor sleep, exercise, the environment, stress, or simply not eating enough of the right foods can leave us deficient in key nutrients. This is where Athletic Greens can help. It is a life-changing nutritional habit. Their daily all-in-one superfood powder is your nutritional essential. It is by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your daily routine today and empower yourself toward better habits. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you one thing with all the best things. Athletic Greens is a multivitamin, multimineral, pre- and probiotic, digestive enzyme and greens supplement in one scoop. It's of such a high quality that it's NSF certified in the US, which means that Olympians can take this without any fears that they will be contaminated with any banned substances. I've tried a lot of greens drinks over the years, and I've wondered why Tim Ferriss was banging on about it. Now it kind of makes sense. After a few months of using it, I am really, really impressed. You can join the Athletic Greens Club today by heading to athleticgreens.com Not only do you get free shipping, but you also get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. That means basically you're never going to have to buy vitamin D again. This deal is available worldwide in America, in the UK, or wherever else you are. Simply head to athleticgreens.com slash modernwisdom. Go and upgrade your nutrition game today. In other, other news, this episode is brought to you by the Hybrid Pillow. The Hybrid Pillow is the first pillow to combine traditional comfort with revolutionary memory foam support technologies. The pillow is basically like a a hollowed-out pillow. So on the outside, you've got a memory foam, this 22 mil of high-end Vasco memory foam, and in the middle, you have a 50-50 blend of duck feather and down. So it's the best option if you're the sort of person who wants a supportive pillow but needs the comfort of a traditional feather pillow. Having a hybrid mix allows the orthopedic support of memory foam, which relieves pressure buildup around your neck and keeps your head and your spine aligned, but the feather and down core softens the pillow and makes sure that you stay cool and comfortable throughout the night. If you've tried other memory foam pillows but found them too firm and uncomfortable, this is for you. It'll help to reduce muscle soreness in the morning, it'll keep your spine properly aligned throughout the night, and it reduces how much you wake up from head movement. You have a guaranteed better night's sleep or your money back. Head to thehybridpillow.com and use the code MW20 for 20% off everything site-wide. Plus, you have that guaranteed better night's sleep or your money back. Thehybridpillow.com and MW20 for 20% off. Shipping for this is only in the UK at the moment, so sorry, other people, you're going to be stuck with a a worse night's sleep. But uh, yeah, everyone else in the UK, thehybridpillow.com. And now, it's time for the tough and wonderful greg everett for the people who aren't familiar with you what do you do who are you and what you do
1: i do all kinds of things uh best known though, as a, a coach of the Olympic sport of weightlifting, um, producer of all kinds of educational content primarily. So for coaches and athletes, uh, got a number of books out, uh, lots of video content, tons of online content. So since about 2006, I've kind of been the, uh, well, I mean, arguably the biggest resource out there, uh, for Olympic weightlifting, uh, in, in instructional educational material.
0: Catalyst Athletics YouTube channel for people that want to check that out. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, well, catalystathletics.com will get you even more. There's something like, you know, I, I personally have 300 something articles on there. Uh, there's a thousand plus videos. You can actually find them, you know, because they're searched, uh, searchable and categorized on like YouTube, which is just someone just put a big pile of stuff and you have to dig through it
0: it's crazy how much
1: smelling a little bad.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how much content you can get out of just two lifts, isn't it?
1: Yeah. It's actually pretty silly, but it, <laughs> it just never ends.
0: <laughs> and then now you've pivoted and we're talking about tough building true mental, physical, and emotional toughness for success and fulfillment.
1: Yeah. There's- I mean, theoretically, it's a bit about weightlifting too, but, uh, it's a little, a little broader of an umbrella.
0: What do most people have wrong about toughness? What is it not?
1: Uh, well, what it, I think the the biggest common uh, mistake people make is that it's we see it as being uh, a masculine quality or somehow inherently related to manhood or or the the condition of being a man. Um, and I spent a lot of time in that early on in the book, really breaking it down and explaining what exactly being tough truly is. And it has nothing to do with sex, gender, or any of these things. They are totally independent elements, uh, that anybody can attain with the proper, you know, work and understanding. Um, and the, the, the kind of the secondary part of that is that it is associated a lot of the times with kind of violence or aggression or, uh, that, that sort of, um, need to demonstrate our ability or our superiority over others. And again, totally unrelated to what being tough truly is, uh, but we, we have these associations in our minds, especially based on our past experiences with people who claim to be tough or whom others tell us are tough, which is often far, far off the mark.
0: There's been a recent, I would say in the last five years, I've noticed quite strongly a surge in content around fortitude and resilience and toughness and people like David Goggins are being really upheld and cold showers are becoming a thing. And, you know, why do you think people are drawn toward a discussion about toughness in 2021?
1: I think because you simultaneously have it becoming less of a normal trait for people than it used to be. But more and more necessary for us to get through our lives now. And those things are related. Certainly. Uh, You you look back at, say, like my grandfather's generation uh, going through the Great Depression, World War Two, these sorts of things where, you know, my grandparents grew up on farms. They were dirt poor. Uh, there were traits that you developed as a child growing up in a situation like that, that, you know, a lot of people still do in, in, you know, both of our countries, of course, but where it wasn't this thing that you sought out, it was just something that naturally you developed because there was no other choice. You want to eat or you better figure out how to eat and it's going to take some work versus my daughter's generation. Like, Hey, I want to eat and they boop, boop, boop and someone delivers food to their door 20 minutes later right, while they're sitting there watching, you know, 15,000 different shows on TV. Uh, so it's, it's this totally different experience that we're having in our lives. And I think what's happening is that more and more of us are recognizing that there's something missing that we're, there's an absence of experience, um, and, uh, you know, a, a sense of fulfillment and contentment and accomplishment because we're not required, to engage in things that are difficult and demanding and require commitment uh, and and an understanding of who we truly are and what's important to us. So we're kind of just flailing around, uh, searching for ways to entertain ourselves and distract ourselves, which temporarily is satisfying, but in the long term kind of leaves us having, uh, you know, a continual series of midlife crises, right? So instead of having one midlife crisis like the olden days, now we have one every five years. Where it's like, what have we been doing? What do I want to do? Who am I? This is awful. Mm. Uh, and so I, I think that's why it's becoming more and more of a popular topic.
0: How do you define toughness then? what What is it? If that's what it's not, what is it?
1: So I break it down into four uh, elements. And the first one is character. And that is simply what is your identity and and the corollary to that is are you secure in that identity so who are you and what is important to you what's meaningful to you um because without that that that's your guide for every decision you make and so many of us are just absolutely clueless when it comes to who we actually are a lot of us have stories in our minds that we've been telling ourselves about who we are for our entire lives uh most of the time very far from accurate uh but that's kind of what props up our egos and makes us believe that we have this kind of dialed in and figured out um and the security and identity is key too because so many of us are totally insecure in who we are and that's why we have so many of us uh you know constantly on the search for recognition and appreciation and, and credit and uh you know these desperate pleas for validation, you know, look at social media every day. It's just, it's sad, honestly. Um, and so much of it is unconscious. Like people are not setting out every day. Like I need someone to tell me I'm, I'm strong and pretty. Uh, but that's what it is. And, and, and without that security, we end up with the, you know, those kind of, uh, behaviors and also, you know, the ridiculous unnecessary competition and the one upmanship and all these things that just drive ridiculous behavior. And prevent us from accomplishing anything actually meaningful uh, long term. Uh, next, you have capability, which is uh, not just physical ability uh, and physical traits and skills, but knowledge. It's in its you're, We need to garner this through the accumulation of very broad uh, experiences, novel experiences, and learning. You know, collecting more and more tools, uh, physically, mentally, uh, emotionally in learning how to succeed through different situations, unpredictable situations, and gaining the confidence that comes along with uh, successfully experiencing such things. Um, Next we have uh, capacity, which is what most people think of as resilience, but I distinguish this from resilience in that you know, resilience technically is a return to your original condition following some kind of adversity or trauma, right? So that, to me, the analogy is storm comes, you go downstairs, you ride it out in the cellar, you wait for it to clear up, you go back and just resume your life. That's resilience. That's good, right? We're not getting destroyed by it. But what I want is to use those experiences, that adversity, hardship, challenge, to to develop further, to become stronger, more intelligent, more engaged with the world, uh, to you know, to add to that toolbox, to get more experience using those tools in in, in unique, novel ways, um, and then finally is commitment, and this encompasses, uh, you know, discipline, uh, habit building, routine. These sorts of things. And this is really what brings all of the previous three together, because without the commitment to it, the rest is just kind of a private fantasy, right? This is the story we're telling ourselves. Well, I I am resilient and I am capable. But if we don't actually put those things into use during meaningful, significant uh, experiences, then we're not those things. We either have the potential to be those things or we're just lying to ourselves. Uh, and so that that's what kind of wraps it all up. And that's how we create that life.
0: Going back to character, do you think it's built or revealed? Is character something that's innate or is it something that we have to construct?
1: Uh, I don't think it's innate, although I do think obviously we have uh, much of it is built built without our participation early on in life, right? It's, you know, through our influences, our parents, our family, our friends, our teachers, coaches, whatever. Um, and so, you know, when you're six years old, you're not conscious of the development of your character unless you're some kind of, you know, genius prodigy kid. But, uh, so because of that, there's always opportunities for character to be revealed for us to experience something that forces us to look at who we are at present. But at the same time, I do think we have, you know, a complete ability to determine who we are, to decide our character, uh, to figure out what then, you know, the behavior, the speech, the ways of thinking, then support that identity and then to make those changes in our lives to reflect it. So it's, it's a, you know, a dialectical process where maybe we experience something, we see, wow, this is who I am. It is not who I believed I was. It is not who I want to be. So who do I want to be? And now, more importantly, how do I actually make that true? What do I need to change in my life? How do I need to behave and think and speak in order to actually become that person rather than just thinking this is who I would like to be?
0: Man, the more that I look at learning about character and personal values and why are you here looking at the core reasons for you being on the planet, I don't think that there's a more important question that anyone should be asking themselves. It took me yeah. until I was 31 to do sit down and actually work out the five core values that my life is built upon, which is mental. Yeah. How did I get through 18 years of full-time education, two degrees, including a master's, and no one ever said, why are you here? Like, what, right. what what's the reason that you're here? I'd done it for businesses. So the young yeah. entrepreneurs that are listening who've sat down and said, right, okay, so let's talk about the brand values that we've got while the people sat around the table haven't got their own values organized.
1: Yeah, it's bizarre. And, and, and th- what's more bizarre is that, as you said, they can be completely uh, unaware of the ridiculousness of that situation, where they're putting so much effort into what, what is meaningful to my business, right? Like the business is this living entity that has its own values. It's like, no, those are your values expressed through your company. So like, why, why would you not do this for yourself? It's it's bananas. Yeah,
0: man. It's, um, it it really is. I think it's one of the big changing points, a big inflection point that you have when you actually sit down and do that exercise. And I've been banging on about this for, for the last year or so. Everyone that's listening will be familiar with this. But for the people that haven't already decided to do this exercise, I implore you, whether it's through Greg's book, Tough, which will be linked in the show notes below, or Taylor Pearson's uh, core values exercise, which you can get online or whatever it is, like you need to do it. What was life like for you before and after? Was there something that where you realized, right, I need to sit down and get my core values in order? Or have you always had them set?
1: Oh, no, no, <laughs> definitely have not uh, had myself sorted out always. Uh, it, it's been it's been a, a, a continual series of, of events that have kind of nudged me in, in various directions. And um, it, it is something certainly that is ongoing. Right. So even if you do sit down, you figure out your values today, um, those things are very likely going to evolve over time based on new experiences, new interactions with different people and, and new demands, things like that. Uh, but so, I mean, really early on in life for me, uh, I, I struggled very much. I was a really, uh, self-conscious insecure kid and, and, uh, was, I mean, I don't think I had any solid identity. I, I was the chameleon, right. Where I was popular because I could be whoever I needed to be in any group, any situation. And that works great when you're 16, 17, you know what I mean? Uh, you can get whatever girlfriend you want, right? Because you're always the right guy. Uh, And, you you know, you have these friends and, and, but when you get a little older, you recognize, well, this isn't going to get me very far. You know, I'm unhappy. None of this stuff is working for me. And and so my personal experience early early on was I had uh, a huge drug problem, right? Um, And so by the time I hit, you know, at 19, 20 years old, I was, that was the, the, I think the first big thing where I was forced to step back and say, is this actually who I want to be? Am I willing to continue down this road? Um, You know, and I had good friends who had, you know, serious drug addiction problems. I had friends who died. I had friends who were getting arrested, these sorts of things. So it wasn't it wasn't a purely conceptual exercise for me. It was like very clear what my potential paths were. And so that was the first thing where I really had to take a step back and be like, I need to figure myself out. And it it wasn't a straightforward, quick thing. It took you know a number of years to get through that. But uh, I think since then, what I learned was how critical that uh, that ability to be self reliant and independent, and know exactly who I was and what was meaningful to me, because that was what was driving all of my decisions. And without that, again, like I said earlier, you're just kind of flailing around. Uh, being discontent for the rest of your life.
0: Let's say that someone does go through their core values and work out why they're here, or they they have a good concrete idea of that. Like what's next? Like, Just because you've got your values written down on a piece of paper somewhere, that doesn't really mean anything.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, what's next is the continual self-monitoring, right? And so being, being aware of what you're doing and, and being willing and able to ask yourself with all these decisions you're making – does re- this reflect who I am and what's important to me? Because so much of of what we do in a given day is is habitual, right? We 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 continue to do these behaviors because we've always done them. It's they're so well ingrained, and so much of the time those things are discordant with what we actually want to achieve or who we want to be. Uh, and so if we don't address that, we kind of just remain on that same course just through inertia. Um, and so when we get to these various. Uh, you know, inflection points or or forks in the road where we have to actually make a conscious decision. We have to fall back on these things, fall back on the identity and our values to make those decisions to ensure that they are in harmony with what is actually meaningful to us. Because so much of a, a so many of us are are just driven by uh, convention or tradition or what we are expected to do or what we're told that is you know important to us. I mean. Look at how many people take personality tests or or these things that are supposed to tell us who we are and what we want. And then, you know, I'm very, very dubious about the accuracy and the value of those things in in so much so because once you have decided, okay, well, this is this is my personality. I took a test in Cosmo or whatever. uh, And so now I have to, you know, match all of my decisions and behaviors to this. Well, that's the same thing as not knowing who you are, because that's very likely not who you are. It's just that now you feel like you have this structure, but it's still leading you down a path that is not going to deliver you uh, repeatedly as it should to a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction.
0: It's an interesting one. I had Dr. Benjamin Hardy on the show uh, discussing his book, Personality Isn't Permanent, about a year ago, and he was Mm. incredibly critical of pretty much every different personality test except for the big five and his reason for not being critical of the big five was because you're not put into a type with the big five they don't say that you're a green or an mbti or a a, a classic classic sparkly dragon or a new age sparkly dragon (laughs) or whatever it is like it doesn't give you a category that that he feels constrains people um but yeah man i I looking at the way that character relates to capability capacity and commitment it seems to me that Character needs to be there to form the foundation, that everything else can be built upon very, very shaky um, underpinnings if you don't actually understand why you're here and what you're doing. As mutual friend Ben Bergeron talks about, he says you can spend a lifetime climbing a ladder only to realize it's put up against the wrong wall. And right. um, Greg McEwen told me this story about when some executive, high-flying high executive at some massive media company he'd been working at for years and years, and he'd sacrificed family time. He'd been doing 18-hour days, five days a week for 20 years, and he finally gets to the top, and he speaks to Greg, and he says, man, my son won't talk to me. My 19-year-old son won't talk to me. Like, I don't have a relationship with my son because I've never spent any time with him. My family's in tatters, and all that I want now is to have a family life. I've got all the way to the peak of this world that i thought i wanted and look at what's happened like i don't i don't want this so you can very very quickly put yourself in the wrong direction if you haven't got this sorted um so we've got we've got character in the book there are some core values exercises that people can go through and will help to give them some clarity on that moving on to capability it's what are you able to do right that's your capacity is your ability to deal with things your capability is what you're able to do
1: yeah, and this is such a a large umbrella, right? This is really all encompassing. Again, not just skill and physical ability, like you know, strength, endurance, whatever, but but the knowledge. And this is so much predicated on experience, novel experience, varied experience, uh, because so many of us are are really. Stuck in this very narrow bandwidth of life experience where we we have our profession. We have our specialty. We have our narrow set of interests Uh, We all watch pretty much the same handful of TV shows. We all look at the same Instagram accounts Uh, I mean you look at again going back to my daughter's generation They all talk exactly the same where when I was growing up, it was regional, right? So where I was from People spoke one way and then, you know, other side of the state, they spoke a little bit differently. And now it's like every everyone is so tied together across the world that it's just so homogenous. And so we have to break out of that and and go into peripheral realms, not just for the sake of learning what's out there, but understanding that the things that you learn outside of your specialty and and your area of, of comfort and expertise Will contribute to your expertise. Will contribute to your specialty, and you don't know how it will because you haven't ever experienced it. It's unpredictable. Um, but also, the, a, a huge part of that too is we we very much overestimate our abilities when we never get outside the area in which we're already comfortable, and we develop this this false sense of confidence. Um, that, that can harm us anytime we are forced to step out of there. Whereas if we're constantly seeking out novel experiences and, in, uh, you know, developing the abilities to successfully deal with them. Now we're building legitimate confidence. We're, we're creating not just the ability to handle things that are unpredictable and different, but we're developing the confidence that we can. Right. And the more of those experiences we have where we successfully deal with things that we haven't dealt with before, the more we recognize, you know, our ability to to take care of ourselves, to uh, to handle the unpredictable, to handle adversity. And so we start chipping away at that very natural sense of intimidation and fear and anxiety that people experience when, you know, they have to encounter things that they are not already comfortable with. And that just think about how much of life opens up to you when you have that attitude and that mindset and that confidence. Um, what's that movie? Yes, man with Jim Carrey, where he just has to say yes to everything. You don't want to go too crazy, right? Like you have to be work within reason there, but that's the idea is, is rather than finding reasons to avoid things because they're scary or intimidating or you've never done them before. Uh, you know get out there and dip your toe in the water at least and 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 see what's going on because chances are you're going to discover things that are wildly enjoyable but also beneficial to what your primary focus is the interesting
0: thing about capability is that someone's confidence is actually the limiting factor on it when you think about i am able to do this physically or mentally if you put me in the situation i'm able to do it but if your belief is Downregulated from that, then that's what you're working off. You're actually working off 80% or 70% or 50% or 10%, you know, of whatever your available amount is. So let's say that there's someone who's listening who is a little bit low on confidence or doesn't have that self-belief. What's something that they can go out and do this week? Or how would you prescribe them some strategies for starting to build that confidence up?
1: Well, here's the key thing, and I talk about this a lot, actually, in the capacity uh, section of the book. But this is like any other physical training where your challenges and the exercises you're doing, um, to this end have to be appropriately designed and dosed. So for example, like if you want to, you say, "Ah, I want to go, uh, learn how to rock climb. I've never done it before. I've never set protection. I've never been on a rope. Don't go try to climb El Capitan next week, right? You're going to die. You're going to have a bad time. Uh, instead, you know, go do something small, go do some bouldering, go do some top roping with someone who's experienced. Um, and so these things have to be very individual. They need to be, uh, initially, of course, they should interest us to some degree, ideally, but they should be related somehow to our lifestyle, our needs, you know, in terms of our profession and our locality, because those are the the abilities we want to develop first. Those are our priorities. What's critical for us day to day? Um. But then you have to determine, okay, what's my starting point? Because my starting point is very different from your starting point in any given endeavor uh, because our experiences and our knowledge is different. Right. So for someone who's an experienced rock climber, maybe they their next challenge is to, you know, free climb the nose of El Cap. Uh, Whereas, you know, I haven't climbed in 23 years. I'm not getting near that. No, I won't even walk to the base of that thing right now. Uh, So this can be literally anything. And and for some people, it's going to be as as seemingly simple and mild as uh, getting past the anxiety and going to the grocery store by themselves. I mean, that can literally be a huge challenge for some of us. It was for me. As a, a an, an older teenager, I would run out of food every once in a while because I couldn't get myself to go to the store. That's how out of my mind I was with with self-consciousness and anxiety about it. Um, and so it's it's about sitting down and figuring out where do I want to go now? How do I break those things down into smaller and smaller and more manageable pieces? Where do I start? What's step one out of a thousand or whatever it is? Um, and so I. I don't have specific prescriptions for that. It's more of a guidance on how do you determine what's important to you, what you need to work on. And now let's figure out what's the first step. Right. And so I guess what I would say is you can figure out today what is what is something that I I know that I'm lacking in capability right now. What's something that's holding me back uh, from what I want to do or who I want to be, I guess, is a better way to think of it. And now what's step one in that potentially very protracted process to move me in that direction? And so you create the map and then you create those little waypoints along the way to keep you moving in that direction, you know, no matter how, uh, you know, tortuous it may be. It's very, very unlikely to be, you know, a linear uh, course, but that's what keeps you on course. Uh, and and gives you those little waypoints, those little landmarks along the way is what stokes your enthusiasm, right? Versus like, oh my God, I'm never going to get this. It's such a huge goal. But each one of those little steps is an accomplishment and that's what kind of keeps propelling you forward with greater and greater momentum.
0: What are some capabilities that everyone should have?
1: Uh, These things are, uh, and, and some of this sounds silly, I know, but it, I think it's really important. But like the ability to drive a manual transmission, right? That like, this is one of the things I grew up driving stick shifts and, and I finally got rid of them as I got older. Cause I got lazy and I got tired of driving through LA traffic, you know, stop and go, stop and go trying to eat a taco, change my shirt all at the same time. But, uh, you think, you think, oh, well that's dumb. We don't need that. Okay. What if you are somewhere your child is seriously injured. You have to get them to a hospital and the only vehicle available is a manual transmission and you can't drive it. You're just going to give up on your kid. So it's like little things like that. You know, you, you people say, Oh, that's so dramatic. Yeah. It's, it's, it's melodramatic until you're in that situation. And then you go that Greg, he was right. Uh, and now your kid hates you. So, uh, things like that, things like, um, uh, you know, literacy, uh, being capable of of reading and comprehending things well and being able to absorb information. So many of us, the the longest thing we read now is a, a Twitter or a tweet or an Instagram caption. And, you know, I look at, um, you know, adults my age, I'm, I just turned 41 and I, I read emails from people and I'm like, how have you survived this long with, you know so much difficulty with the language? Like you're missing out on so much uh, without developing that, you know, reading more books, writing, even if it's just in a, a personal journal, developing that ability to articulate and communicate. Um, so there's a long list in the book of, of kind of universal capabilities, but they're they're primarily about giving us the foundation to be successful versus specific long- term, Uh, capabilities you know being able to to climb el capitan or whatever Uh, it's more like what it what are the foundational things that allow us to move toward those things long term
0: you've got a quote in that section which i loved which says all toughness is ultimately mental in nature regardless of how much the physical body is involved a hammer can't pound any nails if we never pick it up off the workbench or can't find the nail such a good
1: quote Yep, finding that nail sometimes is the hardest part. Yeah,
0: talking about capacity, I think this is what people believe you're referring to mostly when they talk about toughness, right? Like resilience to adversity, what you're able to withstand,
1: right? Yeah, and that these are the these are the really compelling stories that we hear, right? People who survive, like I talk about Stephen Callahan in the book, survived alone in a life raft on the Atlantic Ocean for 76 days. I mean, that imagine simply being alone, being unable to communicate with anybody for 76 days, even in the comfort of your own living room. Most of us would go crazy like that. That alone is difficult. But now you've got sharks bumping up under your raft. Your raft is leaking. You're getting blown around by storms, getting soaked. You've got sores all over your body from the salt water. Um, that's the kind of story where we, we really are uh, so enamored with that sort of thing. And so I think that's where we see toughness really standing out. But people forget that, uh, you know, toughness is is demonstrated on, on an infinite gradient of intensities and durations. And so we take that example on one end or, you know, Victor Frankl, you know, surviving his incarceration in a concentration camp during World War II, and finding a way, you know, uh, psychologically and spiritually to kind of find that sense of inner peace and freedom. And we look at that and then we kind of scoff at the, you, you know, you can't get over yourself and go to the grocery store sort of thing. But it's like those little things or seemingly little things are critical to building the capacity that gets us through the big things. And so we can't discount those things. We can't trivialize them. We have to put our effort into those things because that is the practice. That's the foundation that moves us toward the capacity to withstand the big glamorous things falling off the side of a mountain or whatever it is. And, you know, walking home with one leg, uh, you know, whatever it takes. But if, if you, if you're unwilling to do the, the, the work and the day to day stuff, it's very unlikely you're going to get to that point where stories will be written about you.
0: What was your favorite story that you researched when looking
1: at the capacity chapter? I think Stephen Callahan's really stood out the the life raft experience. You tell us about and he that? wrote a book. Yeah, he wrote a book called Adrift, and uh, this was in the mid '80s, I believe. But he was sailing solo. Um, uh, I forget where he started. Canary Islands, maybe, and almost immediately into this trip, uh, a whale rammed his boat. And the thing sank so quickly, he couldn't even get all of his survival supplies out. Thankfully, he got the the life raft that had some gear with it. And so reading his account of that, um, it, it's just mind blowing because the 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 degree of ingenuity and resourcefulness that he displayed is just on such a, a higher level than well, most like- of us can even imagine. Like, So much the the, fa- the favorite for me is that he had this this leak in his raft and he was trying everything in you know, all these different ropes and knots and trying to prevent it and it just would never stop leaking. And so he finally ended up using a fork to fix it. And so you look at the kind of creative thinking that involves um, and you and if you see it now, you're like, oh, no big deal. He used the fork as like a toggle to crank on the thing. It's so obvious. No, it's not. A fork is something that we associate with creating leaks, not fixing them. So most of us who are very you know judicial thinkers would not even entertain that as a possibility, let alone take the time to think, here's what I have. One of these things is an old Boy Scout fork. How can I use this to repair this leak and then actually make it happen? and save that raft for another 60 days or whatever it is, which those things are meant to last like a week, maybe at best, I think. Right. Um, and so th- there were just many stories like that. And in him having this internal dialogue and he kind of described, you know, having two people in his head and one was the very emotional um, person. And one was the the more rational kind of the, the captain, I think he referred to it as like, Nope. This is what has to happen. You have to do this, this, and this, and you know the other guys, and they're like, nah, I kind of just want to lie down and just sleep this away and forget it. I don't want to do it." And so it was. It's just it's this like perfect story to me of survival, but the the internal dilemmas and difficulties uh, mixed with the uh, the the necess- or necessity of being so resourceful and creative. And bringing that all together into this like unbelievable harmony. And then it's so incredible. He gets seen by a fishing boat finally after 76 days. And he's so dialed in and like accepting of his situation that when the guys come to save him, he goes, no, no, no. You guys go ahead and finish fishing and then pick me up when you're done. So he literally sat there and waited for these guys to finish their day of fishing just waited in this raft. He's like, hey, 76 days. What's another six to eight hours? That's unreal. You know, most of us, if we were in there for six hours, would be like crawling out of there, swimming to the boat. Get me out of here. And he's, ah, you guys, I'm just going to enjoy the view for a little while. So that, that I mean, that book, if, if you haven't read it, that book is very much worth the time.
0: That's a sick story. Have you read The Forgotten Highlander by Alistair Urquhart?
1: No, I've never even heard of it.
0: It's such a hidden gem. So I got told about this about two years ago from a buddy. Think of Man's Search for Meaning. Subtract mm-hmm. all of the psychological insights. Add in about 10x the amount of extremeness, and you've got this book. <laughs> it is unreal. So this guy was a um, in the Highlanders, so one of the Scottish regiment over in Japan. Um, and then when World War II began... He was captured as a part of that when the when Japan uh, left uh, or joined the war. And he gets put on these death ships, which are essentially tin boxes with 150 people in for a month at sea with no water and no food. He doesn't die. He builds the bridge over the river Kwai. Uh, and is constantly (laughs) dealing with dysentery and like a million tropical diseases at once, doesn't die. Gets locked in a cage in the middle of the midday sun for like three days straight because he'd done something to piss off one of the Japanese people, still doesn't die. Then gets shipped over toward the mainland and gets knocked off his feet by the aftershock from the Nagasaki bomb drop, still doesn't die, and then stays silent for 50 years because the army told him to, to keep diplomatic relations uh, proper. And then he writes this book as a memoir and a call to account for the Japanese government to be um, brought up in front of the world for the crimes that they'd done against humanity while he was there. And it's so bad. But, dude, like if if you want the contrast effect that you get where you realize all of the problems that I have are absolutely tiny, and then also to see the capacity of what people are able to go through – yeah, it's phenomenal, man! Like seeing people that can go through Forgotten Highlander. That was for, called Forgotten Highlander. Yes, it's okay. really yeah, easy book. Like two hundred and fifty pages, super easy read. Oh, I mean, it's uncomfortable read, but it's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you talked about there about remaining composed and rational in stressful situations. How can people build that in themselves?
1: Just like I talked about previously, this is something you practice every single day in even the most minor situations. And so we look at. Uh, you know, so many of us just flipping out because we have to wait an extra minute for a traffic light signal or, you know, our Instagram won't load fast enough for us to look at someone else's lunch or like whatever stupid things we get so frustrated and irritated and wound up about. Um, that's where you start is you recognize that reaction and you step back and you say, is this really who I want to be? Do I want to be the guy who's screaming at my phone because the Wi-Fi signal is 2% worse than it should be? Um, and then you you employ the various strategies that I talk about in the book that are well-known, you know, uh, breathing techniques, different ways to change your focus, different ways to kind of create that sense of composure and then you you build from there, and so then you go into you know like we talked about the the various challenges you're going to create and employ for yourself, and you start implementing those uh, those composure tools in greater and greater uh, challenges, you know intensity and duration and and variation of course, until you develop that ability, and along with that comes that confidence from the development of capability and that that accumulation of experience. And so all those things uh, coalesce to create that ability to remain composed in situations where most of us will be running around like our hair is on fire, uh, you know, looking for mom to come figure it out for us.
0: What is a situation that you still struggle to maintain composure in? Is it getting a red light when you shouldn't have done with one of your athletes at a, a big competition? Is it stuff to do with business? Where, where have you still got work to do in this area?
1: It's it's definitely primarily work-related. Um, and I think that it, it's almost entirely concentrated on any time I have to rely on someone else to do something for my business, I can't take it. Because... It's never on time. It's never done the right way. Uh, there's always some kind of problem and I'm always asking myself, why am I wasting time and money dealing with other people? I could have done this myself. And so any, anything that like disrupts my, you know, smooth, fluid flow of work still gets me. And so I, I am increasingly conscious of that and, and really, uh, working to, to be able to like take a breath and, and realize like, Hey, uh, you know, we're not storming the beach here at Normandy. It's just a website or, you know, whatever the case is. And, and like you said, that that comparison of suffering sort of thing. Yeah. I'm not locked in a, in a tin box on the ocean for 150 days. I I'm just a day late getting this website fixed done. Like it's not, it's not that big of a deal. And so being able to step back and have that big picture perspective, uh, is a key part of it. But yeah, that's, that's what gets me every time.
0: I agree, man. So I've, Over the last year, my main business, which is running Club Nights, has been dialed down. And to operate this podcast, which has been my main project, there's only me and one guy. And both of us know what we need to do. He does his bit and I do my bit. And it's only upon no longer... Because I run Club Nights, which means that I'm dealing with a thousand drunk students a night, I need to mediate the relationship between the club manager and the door staff and the glass collectors and the bar staff and the bar manager and the council on the street and the police on the street. And it's it's there's a million different actors, all of whom have their own stake, the, the different stakeholders within the event and making sure that this thing happens. And sometimes they conflict and sometimes they don't. And then there's a designer and then there's the guys that run the ticketing website and then there's all of the reps and the staff and blah, blah, blah. And... um. When you strip all of that back, you realize how much stress comes from other people because I think the reason it it triggers you and me specifically is that you know you did all the things that you needed to do it's like <laughs>
1: yeah, I did my job
0: <laughs> I did my bit, and this is being fucked up because of something that you did and um that's something I often think when we see influences online or very sort of small. Um, individual-based businesses now. So the, the YouTuber that's absolutely smashing it, and he has a team of maybe like three or four people, but is able to turn over great yeah. money and has fantastic um, impact. But that person isn't dealing with a million different stakeholders. They're not dealing with right. California State coming and asking you for many, many thousands of pounds per month that needs to be increased yeah. because of the rent on your gym and other stuff like that. Um And there's two ways that I think about it. One is aim to create a business in an industry that is as insulated as possible, like a hermetically sealed business in (laughs) which you have as few external stakeholders as possible. And then the other side of it is when you see these people and they're fantastic and they're doing really, really well. But remember that this massive success of their business does not come with the same level of discomfort as the guy that owns the delicatessen or the butcher's shop around the corner because that's, that person has yeah. to deal with more stakeholders and that is where, as a business owner, someone that wants to make things happen and do them correctly, that's where so much of the discomfort lies.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's that was one of the big decisions I made with, with Catalyst Athletics, my own company, is uh, a number of years back, there was a very clear fork in the road where i could have gone full-blown corporate brought on a lot more employees got the big media team all these things uh, and it would have expanded the business and potentially made it more profitable but the dilemma was i don't want that i don't want to be a manager i want to be a content producer i want to be a coach first and foremost Um, i don't need the added stress of more overhead and. You know, a bigger ship takes longer to steer and, you know, all these things. Um, I got the little rowboat, man. I can turn on a dime whenever I want. So I, I sacrificed some of that potential top end in terms of profitability and in, in, in spread. But I have more than enough of both of those things. And I retain that complete ownership, that complete control and that complete uh, enjoyment of of what I'm doing and I don't have to depend on other people and take on that added stress that I don't need. If I'm going to be stressed, it's because I'm struggling to, you know, produce something that meets my standards, not because I'm waiting on someone else and I know they're not going to meet my standards or, you know, whatever the case is. And so that, that's been like the best decision I ever made when it comes to business.
0: I'm glad to hear that. I've got a lot of friends, I think who have big desires for where they want their companies or corporations to end up. And I always ask, especially when they're talking about growth and levels of revenue and stuff like that, especially if it's a big number, if they're talking about, yeah, man, well we're gonna try and sort of hit ten mil top line next year. I'm like, in the nicest way possible, man, like how much is enough? <laughs> like how right. how how much money do you need? And I'm all for growth and I love these inspirational stories about people that are able to make unbelievable apps or products or services that are worth millions and millions of pounds that's fantastic but at what point is the diseconomy of scale being paid by you in terms of stress yeah um and i think that's a question that it's quite uncool to ask because (laughs) in a meritocracy that values where people get to and you've got quantifiable metrics of the fortune's 100th most rich people in the world, and how many followers have you got on Instagram, it's not very yeah. cool to say that you're satisfied. Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean that you're settling. It just means that you know what yeah, is not at all. what is r- enough.
1: Yeah. Well, and that, and that comes right back to the character and values thing. And when we do our self-evaluation... Uh, I make the point in the book that self-evaluation should be concerned with only two things. And that is your own values and the, the goals that you have set for yourself based on those values. There should not be any metrics of self-evaluation that involve comparison to other people or other standards, because that's how you pull yourself away from what's actually meaningful to yourself. So that is the perfect example. Like, well, I've got to clear 10 million a year or I'm not successful. But what is that actually going to get to you? Like speaking of Ben Bergeron, you know, he does the five whys. It's like, oh, I want to, I want to clear 10 million a year. Why? Uh, because the, and you, like once you start actually looking into it, you're like, well, I don't know why. It's kind of a stupid metric. Like it's just this thing that sounds like a good idea because that's what everyone else is doing. You know, I want 500 million followers on Instagram. Like why? Like is that going to actually make you content? Uh. You know, I I want that little blue check on Instagram, but only because they've been dogging me for so long and it drives me nuts. Uh, But it's not actually going to make me happy. You know what I mean? Like I, I think somehow I offended somebody at Instagram years ago, and now they just they're just doing it to mess with me.
0: Despite you, that's funny. Mark. Yeah,
1: yeah. I um,
0: I genuinely believe that you can inculcate this. You can habituate reminding yourself that you're being pulled away from your core values and until you've done them you'll never know when it's happening but in the same way as when you realize that you've become lost in thought if you've spent a bit of time meditating and you realize hang on i was dreaming but awake there i was lost in thought without knowing that i was lost in thought that is what it is to be dreaming while you're still awake and the same thing can occur when you get this compulsion I often get it when looking on Instagram. There's a lot of people from the UK that are out in Dubai at the moment because they fled before the lockdown kicked in and they're having this great time out in Dubai. So I get jealous about my buddies that I see out there that are doing this thing. But then I just ask ask myself, hang on, why would you want to be there? Like, what is it that you're missing? And as you start to dig into it, you realize, well, hang on, all of the things that I value for my short and medium-term goals – are here right here right now and that's why you made the decision to be in the uk so it doesn't matter but because we have this system one thinking this impulsive just reactionary way that it's i want that why why do you want that well he's got it (laughs) that is a fucking stupid reason to want anything because he's got it or she's doing it like and the more that we can assess our assumptions the more that we can act intentionally. And until you've got your values in, you don't know when you're being drawn away, but you can habituate it. You notice what you feel when the texture of your mind is starting to be drawn away from the the course and the path that you are on. And when you start to get drawn away, you go, there's that thing again. There's that thing. There's that thing that just pulls me away. And then you can just return back to what you're doing. Man, it is so liberating. It's so I need to, you know, it happens. I do it like one percent of the time that I should do it, but the, that one percent it feels like such a victory.
1: Hey, that's that's one percent more than most of us do it, and so a big part of that is is recognizing that that feeling you get when you see those the pictures of everyone partying in Dubai while you're back at home in the, in the rain, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's an emotional reaction right? And it's it's a, it's a not a primary emotion. It's a secondary emotion. And it, it's like that jealousy or, or envy or resentment or, or these, these really uh, gross, unhelpful feelings that we get. And if we can recognize that and step back and say, well, like you said, why am I feeling this way? We recognize, well, for no good reason at all. So I'm going to go ahead and put that aside and remind myself what I'm doing. And, you know, having that uh, ability to uh, take a look at your own life, recognize what's important to you truly, but then also have that sense of of gratitude and recognizing, OK, well, I'm not in Dubai getting drunk uh, with my buddies, but this is what I am doing. And man, I am extremely grateful for these opportunities I have and, and whatever the case is. And that really keeps you grounded and focused on what's important versus, like you said, constantly getting pulled in you know, infinity directions at a thousand miles an hour of all these things that you're not doing. Well, okay, we're all not doing a lot of things. We're, we're we're not doing a lot more than we are doing, but what we are doing is important to us, and that's what we should be focused on.
0: I love that, man. I absolutely love that. Talking about commitment, this is the delivery mechanism for everything that we've spoken about up until now. You can have the best core values in the world, you can have your capability, you can do a handstand and climb El Capitan, if you're not prepared to actually do the work nothing matters at all and yeah i think that a lot of people who enjoy listening to podcasts like this one who like reading who like personal growth and self development the hurdle that many people get stuck at is action is taking yeah. action how can people take more action how can they be more committed
1: Funny you use that word because at the end of every chapter of that book, there's an action section and it is practical steps. And that was that was critical for me because nothing drives me crazier than a self-help book. That's just purely philosophical. And so here's how you how you should see the world. And good luck actually implementing that. And uh, of course, everyone throws the book to the side of the, the bed and goes back to normal. Um So first and foremost, again, is once you figure out who you are, what's important to you, what you want to achieve, now you have to determine what the actual practical steps are. And most of that is going to be um, conscious development of habits and routines that support those things, right? So we do not have the brain capacity to make that many conscious, willful decisions every day in our lives. That's just a fact of, of, of the human brain. And I, you know, depending on, on the source you read, it's 40 to 60% of the things we do in a day are habit we're not consciously deciding. Like when we get dressed in the morning, we're not thinking like, okay, put my left leg through my pants and then I put my right leg and you know, it's, we just do it. And so we need to create more routines like that, that are uh, conducive to where we want to go. So for example, uh, simple stuff like putting your phone on do not disturb and leaving it in another room while you're supposed to be working right we sit there and we work for three minutes and then we check instagram like something important must have happened in the last three minutes like it there it can't just be a bunch of more nonsense that i saw earlier um and so developing things like that that set you up for success and and help you prevent blocking yourself from these things that you want to achieve uh you know reading every night before you go to sleep uh, doing some kind of morning journal routine, uh, meditating, or, or you know, breath work, things like that, where you you create these habits and routines um, that then continue to provide you the structure, the foundation to reach farther in, in with the more ambitious things that you want to accomplish and and who you want to become. That's really the, the most critical part of it. It's not necessarily. Saying like, oh, I got to get uh, you know super committed to this long term goal of of uh, you know making it to to the, the the South Pole, right? It's more like, well, what do I need to do day to day that's going to change my life in a way that allows me to work toward that goal uh, without constant disruption? And that's what most of us are missing. We 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 kind of skip over the basic stuff and just look for these really lofty goals. And then we're constantly disappointed because we don't meet them because our day-to-day life makes it impossible.
0: What would you say to someone who's really struggling with commitment at the moment or quote-unquote motivation? They feel like they're built for more. They feel like they have some potential inside of them. But when they promise themselves they're going to get up at 6 a.m. the next morning, they always (laughs) hit snooze. When they say that they're going to stick to the diet, they never do. When they're going to go to the gym, they always miss it. How would you advise that person?
1: So two, two things. Number one is you have to associate the behaviors you're trying to implement with your values, right? You have to make that connection because so many of us look at motivation like it's this, we conflate motivation with enthusiasm. Where if we say like, well, I don't feel like going to the gym and, and training oh I'm not motivated. Well, no, you're probably motivated still, but you're not enthusiastic because it's hard and you're tired and you got things on your mind. But if you can remember, what's the what's the actual motivation? And that might be that you want to get healthier so you can play with your kids or your grandkids, maybe that you need to get in better shape so that you can do that big climb or whatever the case is. And so always having that, you know, the the actual driving purpose in mind to associate with the behavior. But then also you can start with uh, what Charles Duhigg in his book, the power of habit called keystone habits. And so these are things that uh, you know, relatively small habits that support the development of other good habits and more discipline. And so this is, you know, the, the typical classic one is make your bed in the morning, which I'll admit, I don't do that one for me doesn't mean anything, but that's been helpful for a lot of people where it's like this one little thing that they can control and they can easily create a habit out of. Um, and then it, 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 essentially fuels that sense of ability that confidence. Well, I do actually have control over myself and it's, as he says, kind of the accumulation of small wins and that uh, bolsters enthusiasm and that pushes that drive to continue to do the bigger and bigger things. But again, it's really critical to understand the why and then to start, you know, with those smaller things and build from there rather than trying to skip ahead to step 10 when you haven't even done step one yet. Uh, because that's how you, you constantly get on that, uh, hamster wheel and you're, you're just never actually making progress. You're just constantly, you know, being disappointed in yourself. And well, I don't have the discipline, I'm not good enough. I can't do it versus like, Hey, I made my bed for 10 days in a row. Now what's next. I'm going to add on the next layer. Now I'm going to start waking up 20 minutes earlier every day for the next two weeks, then 45 minutes. So now I have time. I'm used to it. Now I can get to the gym in the morning without feeling like a zombie and hating my life. And so it's it's just the, the incremental progress, I think, is key.
0: One of the things that I think is so insidious about waking up at the wrong time, and this is something I battled with for ages, because working shifts is technically, which is what a club yeah. promoter does. You know, getting in at three in the morning, inevitably my sleeping pattern was thrown off. And for anybody out there, the nurses and the taxi drivers and the, the people that do night shift in, in petrol stations and stuff like that, um, I feel for you because it, it's it's savage and you don't realize just how important not hitting snooze is. Like as soon as I banned myself from hitting yeah. the snooze button, because it's the first thing, it is the actual first thing before your day's begun, you've already yeah. said, I'm going to let today beat me. And hitting the snooze button is like saying, I hate waking up so much that I'm going to do it multiple times <laughs> per day. That's what hitting yeah. the snooze button is. Um and that, making your bed just tiny, you're totally right, little wins on a morning. What are some tiny little things you can do a five-minute walk like around the block, yeah. around the, the, the little green belts next to your house, just those, because it makes you feel like you're in control of the day. And the commitment yeah. there, I think, is important. And then, I mean, coming from a weightlifting background, everything that we've talked about today is in some form or another progressive overload. It really is right. king. Absolutely. It's king yeah. in everything. It's king yeah. in reading and meditating, in learning to do a world championship snatch or clean and jerk.
1: Yeah. And that is, you know, that goes back to the the idea of dosing with the challenges and things like that and with the habit building. And the, just to reiterate the point about starting in the morning with those habits, that is key too, because that sets the tone for the rest of the day, right? If you, If the first thing you do in the morning is that new habit you're trying to develop, you're already off to a good start. Whereas if the first thing you do in the morning is hit snooze and go back to bed, you've already showed yourself that you're not able to do it. I had a roommate in college who was terrible at getting up and he would put his alarm clock outside of his bedroom (laughs) so he could hear it and he would have to get up out of his bed to go turn it off because by then you're up. Right, you, yeah. you're not as likely to get back in bed. Of course, it used to drive me nuts. Uh, you know, because we both worked on an ambulance at that time, so we would work twenty fours, uh, and then I would work graveyard dispatching shifts from eleven to seven, and so it was a mess uh, with the sleep situation. But that's what it took for him to figure out how to get out of bed in the morning.
0: Man, yeah. So
1: get creative. You know, do what it takes to get that start.
0: I know. I am. Um, I have two alarm clocks, and one of them's right there which is far enough away from bed and right next to the curtains so I can drag those open. So I've yeah. got a, I've got a similar strategy. Putting outside of the room is is, is another level of extreme. I can't believe there's these mats <laughs> that you can buy, these alarm clocks that are mats and you stand on them and they have to have your feet stood on them for a certain amount of time to force, to, huh. to, to, to turn them off. I'm like, I mean, that is just the same as putting your alarm over the far side of the room, but fair play to them for finding a niche in the market for people who want to be upright for 30 seconds before they can turn their alarm off or whatever it is.
1: I've never heard of that, but that's kind of smart from a business perspective. At There's least.
0: another one, another one that's like a really simple Rubik's cube. And oh. you're supposed to do the Rubik's cube. So you have to be sufficiently cognizant to turn this yeah. alarm off. But you can imagine that if you had a particularly bad day and you wake up and you're just defeated by some Rubik's cube and your alarm's
1: just going off, it's going to end up out of the window. Oh yeah, yeah, it's going to get smashed under my foot for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, what about parting thoughts from this man? Obviously, we've gone through a lot today. The the four C's. If there was a fifth C, would you have put? Would you have put another another chapter in? Was there anything that you left out?
1: I mean, there's always stuff that you leave out. Uh, I don't. There was not enough that I felt it required getting it into the book. But I, I do think that is—I think the way I approach most of the stuff I write is that it's—it's it's a, it, a jumping-off point, right? And so these are—this is a, a, a foundation. It's a place to get started. There's a lot more to do. There's a lot more to think about. There's a lot more to talk about. But this is what's going to kind of get you going. So if there was a fifth C, maybe it would be confidence. Uh, but I kind of saw that as really a result of the four C's, right. That's what you develop. And and that, that includes kind of that sense of peace, um, that sense of security that we feel that we're all really looking for and, and actually being feeling safe and secure and satisfied with our own lives, uh, versus constantly, you know, feeling uncertain and, uh, and anxious and worried about what's to come. And so I think that is really the ultimate goal is, is finding that really sense of, of inner peace with our lives, what we do and who we are. But then none of those are C's. So I have to go with confidence.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that, man. I um, I wrote in a newsletter recently about what confidence actually is. And it's the belief that your abilities will match the required abilities of you. And you, giving a, yeah. a public talk, you very well may be a little bit nervous beforehand because you don't know if what you are being asked to do is what you can do, but doing your washing up is... You're not even going to think about confidence right. because you've done it a million times before and it's not going to be too I'm much really concern. good at that. I'm awesome at doing it as well, actually. And, yeah, I think... A lot of the time, what people think they want when they talk about confidence is this extroversion charisma, this sort of outgoing bravado. They're kind of flamboyant and they, they got all of this sort of fancy moves. Everything's done with a twist. Like even even yeah. washing the plates up is done with like a 360 spin. Um, right. <laughs> and that's not, that's not what they mean. They just mean, I want to feel comfortable that yeah. I can do the things that are required of me. And it, it really does seem like the four C's that you've given before that would build up to um to give someone a, a firm foundation, as you say, a starting off point. So tough, yeah. building true mental, physical, and emotional toughness for success and fulfillment will be linked in the show notes below. And catalystathletics.com, if people want to get a thousand plus articles and videos and how to lift everything
1: spend the rest of your life happily perusing that website
0: watching your face over and over and over again
1: yeah well i don't know if you want to do that for the rest of your life but it's available if you do
0: <laughs> and at greg everett on instagram or at catalyst athletics? Uh, it's
1: at, at catalyst athletics and also um at becoming tough is uh, the account for that book so that will have excerpts and audio clips and things like that for those who are curious
0: perfect i love it man thank you so much for coming on
1: i appreciate you having me
0: thank you very much for tuning in don't forget that you might be listening but not subscribed so just Go to the little podcast player. Look, Listen, I'm extending, this is my voice, extending the episode. How unfortunate is that? Ah, no, still easily very useful because it means that you can navigate to the Modern Wisdom page and press that subscribe button, which obviously means you do not miss any episodes when they are uploaded, Monday, Thursday, or Saturday. And it makes me so happy. Indeed. Also, don't forget that you can receive loads of freebies, including a year's supply of vitamin D, free pots, shakers, and more by going to athleticgreens.com slash modernwisdom. It is the one supplement to rule them all. And don't forget that if you want to upgrade your sleep game, head to thehybridpillow.com and use the code MW20 for a 20% discount plus a guaranteed better night's sleep or your money back. The hybrid pillow dot com and the code MW twenty. Peace.